to another mile post of the V-Twin Life. We talk motorcycles powered by those V-Twins, why we enjoy it, what they mean to us, and just why we enjoy the open road. V-Twin Life is brought to you by CrashInClothing.com, also known as Crash Inc. on the World Wide Web. Man, Brad is on a lot of stuff. You want to get some merchandise, you want to get parts, you want to upgrade stuff on your bike. He is a dealer for a lot of great companies, so check out CrashInClothing.com and see what they got for you. Now, we got Wild Ass. You want to ask some comfort to your ass? Man, Wild Ass has got you covered. They've got something you like. Use that promo code DWOODS. Get yourself free shipping and put that ass in comfort. Can't forget Custom Dynamics leading the world in LED lighting and LED technology. Man, these guys got some great stuff. You want to light up your life at nighttime? You want to be seen during the day? Hey, check out Custom Dynamics. Can't forget Lexan. These guys got some great comm units. I just got the new G16s. Man, you want to talk quality? These things are awesome. Loudspeakers, plus they got some air pumps, small ones you keep in your bike. They're ready to go. So check out Lexan. So now, let's get to another mile post of the V-Twin Life. Okay, what's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the V-Twin Life. Got tonight, we got mile post 125. It's, I don't know, I think it's a good solid number. Tonight, we got Mr. Gunnar Johnson out of Colorado joining us. He's a long-distance endurance riding guy that just loves to get out and ride and enjoys the, the long-distance riding of life. So, hey, welcome to the welcome to the show, Gunnar. Thanks for coming and hanging out. Hey, thanks, Denver. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I fear it'd be a lot of fun. I know there's a couple guys that recommend you, thought you'd be a great guest, and you know, we talked for a while on the phone the other day. It's like, man, you got to stop talking because you're coming up with a lot of great aspects and trying to take notes. <laughs> like, we need to touch on this stuff because I made that mistake before once with, well, a few times. I think one was Jason Setzer. We talked for like two hours on the phone the day before and get to the podcast. Like, uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> he kind of ran, ran out of stuff, huh? That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad like, to be here with shoot. you. Shoot. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And like I said, thanks for taking time out of your Sunday and coming to hang out. Yeah, very so cool. Kinda, well, there's nothing more I'd rather. I love talking bikes, so this is a great opportunity to hang out, do this. Awesome. Well, let's kind of dive in like I'd like to do with everybody. Is Where did motorcycles come into life for you? Where did it start? You know, I had a dad who still rides to this day, and he started me really young. Um, there's pictures of me on his 77 GS 750 Suzuki where I put my hands on the gas tank, Little bitty guy, had a little helmet. I was only like two years old in the backyard riding uh, on a dirt bike with him or riding on the street, uh, much to my mom's chagrin. So, man, from as long as I can remember, I've been on two wheels. That's funny. My my second street bike that I owned was an 83 GS 750 ES. Great bikes. I mean, they were, they were back then when the universal jet motorcycles were popular with that four-cylinder engine and... And it, everybody yeah. loved those things. Good bikes. That's very true. So, but what kind of what kind know, of steamed you towards? Okay, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to tell you a funny story. My, um, I had to call and confirm this with my mom uh, and make sure it passed the BS test. My dad had told me that he and I were riding kind of flat track style around a circle in the backyard, and uh, we crashed. And I was only about eighteen months old sitting on the front of the motorcycle, you know, sitting in front of him, holding on the gas tank. And um, the bike slid up under the fence and I rolled with my dad and wasn't injured or anything, but, you know, it was funny. It was funny that, uh, you know, my, I can imagine being a dad now myself, my wife would have killed me and my mom almost killed my dad in that situation. <laughs> but I called her and she had the same recollection that he did. And 
I thought, you know, I could think back to the memory banks and remember what it was like to see that bike go up underneath the fence. And I was worried about the machine and not so much me, but yeah, that's, that's where I got my start on, on dirt bikes. <laughs> so did you kind of see so your background started with riding dirt bikes when you were younger? Yeah. I also, you know, jumped from that to when I was able to put my feet on the ground. Um, I got an XR 75 Honda and I rode that all over the, the neighborhood street, suburban streets of, the Dallas Fort Worth area is where I grew up and I rode that like my bicycle, you know, all the other kids had bicycles. I was cruising around a little dirt bike and that was, that's how I grew up. Well, one of my, I think it was my second bike was the uh, a Honda XR 100. I rode the heck out of that thing everywhere. Yeah. Those old Honda XRs, the they're bike. hard to kill. Yeah. Yeah. They run forever. And we live next to the, if anyone's familiar with the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we live in Euless, right close to the DFW airport, where Highway 360 had a bunch of dirt bike trails back in the you know, late 70s and then through the 80s. They closed them down at some point in the 90s, but there's tons of trails and dirt bike stuff going on there. Well, I'd leave my house with my dad and a couple gas cans. I'd follow him through the neighborhood. We'd end up in the trails just five miles down the road or so. And that's that's how I grew up, and that's – those are some of my earliest memories. That's awesome. It's cool to see, you know, how a fair amount of people it seems like that I've, you know, been able to, to get to know through doing this. It's maybe a 50-50 split of a lot of them grew up doing dirt bikes and a lot of them didn't. But it, it's so fun to see how, or, you know, not so much see, but hear how people got into riding motorcycles. You know, living up here in the Northwest, some motorcycles – you know, dirt bikes are very common up here for a lot of people just in the area where I live up on the Olympic Peninsula. But it's see how they were, you know, it's fun to see how people got into it because we all came into it at different points in life and in different aspects. And it's cool to, you know, kind of hear people's backgrounds of how they found life on two wheels. <laughs> well, I, one time my wife and I, uh, we were having a little bit of a dispute. I've been married for almost 28 years. And, and, you know, if you've been married a long time, you know how these go. And uh, I wanted my kids to ride dirt bikes. I've got three kids, two girls and a boy. Uh, I want them to be on the bike. She's okay with them riding on the back with me, but she didn't want them to pilot their own. I want them to have their own. Well, we're having dinner with this couple from our church. And um, the guy says, oh man, I'm, I'm turning 50. I've never ridden a motorcycle. And my wife was shocked. She's like, well, how's a she she said it in a nicer way than this, but she's like, well, how does a grown man like not know how to ride a motorcycle? Kind of give him a hard time. And he's like, well, uh, man, I just, I just never allowed, never was allowed. And so we, we get into the car after that dinner and he's still kind of thinking like, that's so strange. Cause from the time we were dating and I've, I've always been on a bike. And I said, well, Missy, listen, when, when a mommy won't let a boy ride a bike, he turns into a 50 year old man who knows nothing about motorcycles. And she's like, okay, you can, you can get a dirt bike for you and Eli, my uh, now 18-year-old son. And that weekend, I went out and purchased two, two bikes off of Facebook Marketplace, a KDX 200 and a DRZ 125 for him. And, uh, man, we, we tore up the tracks and ran around chasing each other for a handful of years after that. So That's cool. I, th yeah, I think it, you're it is fun. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Most of us learned to ride from our dads. I mean, didn't your dad teach you to ride? Um, my stepdad actually taught me how to ride. He got me into 
into dirt bikes and you know my dad he was never uh into dirt bikes but he rode on the on the street you know i i can remember i think the first memory i have of him with a bike was uh and he had an 83 honda shadow 750 and i know he had a couple before them but i i don't have memories of those because i was you know really young but i remember that one he rode that bike until man the mid 90s at least before then he got his 1100 shadow and had that for a while and he got his first harley and i remember we were he was trying to sell it we used to ride the uh lawman 1000 it was a they were an organization they did a lot of money they would ride for different charities i think they would split it up in three-year groups like the fred hutchinson burn society they rode for the PICC, which was the pediatric interim care center that took care of uh, drug addicted newborn babies. And we rode, I rode the lawman with him a few times and he had done it for quite a while. And I remember one trip, he's like, Hey, why don't you ride the shadow? He goes, I want to try to sell it and I'll take my Harley. So I rode his, you know, the 1100 shadow when he was trying to sell it after he got his first Harley. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I think my, the first trip progression. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead, bro. No, it's, yeah, I remember the first trip. He had his shadow, and I was riding an 83 Honda Sabre. I had the V45 750 Sabre, and that was the first trip I ever took with my dad, which the cool thing, we lived here because that must have been like 2001, and we had a picture. I mean, my wife took a picture of my dad and I in the driveway, and then when my son got his bike – his V-Star when we went to ride over to South Dakota in 2022. So we went for the Hoka Hay send-off. We basically, my son and I recreated that same picture in the driveway. Oh, that's Which I thought cool. was really cool. Great memories. Oh, it yeah, is. Man, I'll have to send you those. You can take a look yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's cool. Well, um, after, after I had dirt bikes and such, I had a 125 and a 175 Honda dirt bike. My dad had worked out some deal with a buddy where he bought a shipping container and had it put in our backyard. We had, I think we had two of them, but they were full of Honda 125s, um, 100s. So they were XLs, XRs, and a bike called a CL 125. And some of the motors, I think, went up to 175 because I always looked for those. But they were in that plastic wrap that had the oil and crap in it. And... So he had these shipping containers full of bike parts. I mean, they were complete bikes, but they weren't assembled. And um, so I grew up put, taking bike parts into the garage from those shipping containers and putting them together. And my dad would build the motors. He's, he's an engine builder and a uh, really good mechanic. And I, would, I learned from probably eight, nine, 10 years old how to pull the engines out of those and put another in because I like to ride wheelies on those bikes and I would, I'd seize up the motor after a while. And so <laughs> I push it back in the garage. My dad would pull another engine off the shelf and he's like, you got to put it in and he'd help me get the timing and everything. Right. But I'd swap my own motors and he'd have a, a stack of them blown up and then rebuild a bunch of them on a weekend. And that that's how I grew up. And I just thought it was normal. <laughs> so if you did that, do you do a lot of your own maintenance then when it comes to your bike or do you still have, you know, a, a split, you know, dealer do some and you turn wrenches on them? Uh, you know, it depends on the time. I do enjoy turning wrenches. I heard someone once say, if you work with your mind, like if your job is with your mind, then you relax with your hands. 
So that's how I am. I'm, I've been in ministry. I've been a pastor. I've been a business owner. And I just sometimes need to just you know, unplug and go work with my hands in the garage. I like to do my own maintenance and all that. But there's times like I just had my bike at a Jerry, our, our local Harley mechanic, works out of his garage. Excellent mechanic. I took my bike there and dropped it off for a couple of weeks to have him do everything that would stop me from riding the heck out of it when the snow melts. And uh, he had me all fixed up. So, yeah, I split. I kind of split it. Depends on what's needed. Yeah. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff in my dad's shop. And, you know, there were some upgrades like last year's fortune. But, you know, buddy Brad Columbus, who owns Crash Inc., I'd, he'd had God picked up a brand new set of forks that were going to be for one of his buddies in California. And Victor had wrecked his road glide. And so they had the forks. And so Victor, you know, gave me a heck of a deal. So, dude, just go get them. They're sitting in Brad's shop. And Brad's like, dude, just bring it down because he's got quite the shop at his house. So I'm like, well, shoot, if we're going to replace forks and I'm going to grab new wheel bearings, I'm going to get new neck bearings and, you know, put new pads. Like, yeah. you're stripping everything off the front. To me, it's like, man, this is stupid not to replace all the stuff that's right there while you have everything off. It's like, yeah, let me grab a few parts and, you know, worked it out on a weekend where I could go down there. And, and it was a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Well, you know, it's funny what when I went to, I had gotten a couple tickets on the road as I got to be older. Um, these were street legal bikes. We had license plate on them. It's what I rode to junior high and into high school. When I turned 15, I bought a 78 CB 750, the old uh, single overhead cam bike. And that's what I rode. I went and got my car license and my motorcycle license on the very same day. And, um, I rode that motorcycle to school, had it all stripped down, painted everything black, and uh, it was a really sweet ride. I had a windscreen I'd stick on the front in this in the uh, winter when it got cold. I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area still, so, you know, they can have some pretty good cold snaps, but, you know, mostly it's pretty decent riding weather all year round until it gets super hot. But um, my dad had a – at that time, when I had my 78 CB750, my dad bought a Suzuki Intruder 800, and um, that was a pretty cool bike, shaft drive and uh, V-twin, liquid-cooled. And he and I would ride all over the place. And, you know, my uh, my parents had gone through a divorce, and it, life was a little weird through my high school years. But uh, I left home at a pretty early age and started running around with my buddies and everything. And we all had, we all had um, kind of late 70s, early 80s uh, Japanese motorcycles and – I mean, we take off and go on long road trips and camp off of our bikes, even in high school. You know, I, I think I put 50 or 60,000 miles on that CB750. But that was my life, man. <laughs> you imagine my poor, my, my poor wife when I started dating her. her uh, she was only 15. I had just turned 18. And, you know, I've got a van that I had rebuilt, and I've got a motorcycle. It's like, which one do you want your daughter riding on? <laughs> the van or the motorcycle. <laughs> you know those That'll old be the dad of girls. I don't know, man. Yeah. yeah. The uh those old 750, the old C B single cams. I have a couple buddies. I used to do a lot of hill climbing when I was younger, my late early teen years, well, through my younger teens into my late teenage years. And there there is a company, I don't know what it is offhand, that makes a split cam for those old single uh overhead cam for those seven fifties and makes them fire as a twin. And it makes oh, the really? most Oh my God, they sound so wicked. It is impressive the sound those inline fours will make because it sounds nothing like a four. It sounds like a V twin. Yeah, it's split. That's and it awesome. is. Oh, they are impressive. It's such a unique sound. 
You know, someone gave me one of those. It looked it had been outside in California for a long time. So here probably five years ago, someone gave one to me and shipped it to my house. And um, I tinkered with it for a while. It's going to be way too much money to get running again. I end up selling it. But I've I had all these, you know, dreams of turning it into a cafe racer and having one to run around on again. I mean, just the memories of seeing those green gauges looking back at me with the little tree, the diamond tree, the orange and blue and red. And I mean, they're just a really classic, uh, classic bike. Love to have one again someday. So it sounds like you kind of got, got the, uh, the long distance riding bug kind of at an early age. Yeah. You know, my personality is wired where if, if a little bit's good, a whole lot better is a lot better. So, you know, I, I can get a bit obsessive about anything. Uh, so yeah, when I, when I started roaming around the country on my motorcycle, I went from uh, that CB750 to a CBR1000 out of high school. And, man, I, I could cover some distance on that thing. It's early sport touring. It's 1996 CBR1000. And that was a great was that, bike. Was that so, before the hurricane? Yeah. Um, it, was right, it was right after the hurricane. Um, yeah, you if you... The CBR 1000, it's about 1992, they switched over. 92, 93, they went to the, the next CBR 1000, which was, um, it dropped the Hurricane name. is before the Fireblade and the CBR 900, and then the really awesome lightweight CBR 1000. This one mm -hmm. was more of a sport tour. It, it sort of evolved into the um, Blackbird, Honda Blackbird. So, yeah, it was a fun bike to go far and fast on. I always wanted to get one of the old Honda uh, 996 Superhawks. Just had that distinctive Wonderful. sound. And yeah, you know, much like the old Suzuki, the TL1000s, which, you know, were just had that very distinctive sound. You know, I mean, not not quite, you know, Ducati Aprilia age, but it was just the sound they made was just so unique. Put a nice yeah, two brothers with D&D &D exhaust. Yeah, spot on. I remember when this uh, TL1000 came out and it was like the half naked bike. And um, that was like 97, 98. And man, those were the bomb. And then they turned it into more of a sport bike. And, and that one wasn't that, that great. But the, the Super Hawk, I think they called that that 1000, the Honda version of it. Uh, that, that was a super fun time of, time of bike development in the late 90s. Uh, and you're right, man. Throw a good pipe on those things. They sounded amazing. Of course, oh, we're yeah. all chasing the 916 Ducati and you know, totally the other not one, in yeah. the same class. But uh, Oh, the, the Honda RC51. Yep, that was a beautiful bike. That that big air intake right in the front of it mm -hmm. between headlights. Wonderful bike. You know, I much to my chagrin, I do run across those on Facebook Marketplace from time to time, and I keep trying to figure out how to sweet talk my wife into letting me have another sport bike, but... <laughs> she's not real <laughs> not really a fan of me on a fast bike anymore <laughs> yeah yeah missy and i we, we actually started that was our date thing we started riding together at 15 and 18 and we were all over the country and so she's been on the bike with me for over 30 years but i went we went from when i bought that cbr 1000 i bought her a suzuki rf 600 which is basically that detuned GSXR 600 motor. Uh, it was indestructible, great bike, not super fast for a 600. You know, the the R6 was coming out, the C 
DVR 600 F3 was out. It was F2 than F3, but that RF 600 was kind of more on the, the sport touring side. And that was her bike. And she got her license and learned to ride that. So we were cruising around as a young married couple in like 96, 97, 98 on, um, on, on a couple of sport bikes. So is that kind of like the uh, Katana? It was a little more uh, sporty than the Katana. It had okay, these Ferrari I... Testarossa. Yeah, like the Ferrari Testarossa fins. They made a 900 version of it as well. Pretty cool looking bike. Yeah, I don't remember that one. I'm trying to remember it. So yeah, you have to Google it sometime. It's a uh, you don't see a whole lot of them out there anymore, but uh, they they were good machines because un their underpinnings they were based off that GSXR liquid cooled four cylinder motor. They either dropped it from a thousand to a nine hundred or detuned for mid range for that six hundred. It was a great bike, a lot of fun. We actually had that. I totaled that bike in like. Um, Let's see. It would have been 2006, I think. Uh, a guy ran a stoplight and hit me on it right before our son was born. So it would have been 2005. So, yeah, not a good call to make to my pregnant, very, very pregnant wife. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I'm fine, but I've been run over. <laughs> well, that's like the, the Suzuki TL-1000. <laughs> that got detuned, and that became the engine of the V-Strom 1000. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, I'm glad to see those still putting around out there. I, I'd really love to have one. Um, oh, me too. The TL really, that kind of hit a special chord in my heart when I was in my early twenties. So, yeah. I think the V-Strom, it's a great introduction style, somewhat adventure touring. I mean, that's how they classed it, but I've always been a fan of them. I just like the looks and I've seen a lot of people ride them. You know, you follow different people on social media that just love them. Yeah, and then they uh, – I was racing lightweight superbike in my 20s, and so um, they came out with an SV650, and that mm -hmm. competed against the EX, the Kawasaki EX500, and they were they were a lot of fun. People were swapping the front ends to, you know, Jixxer front ends, and, you know, they weren't super fast, but they were super reliable, and – you, know, you got to learn how to go smooth before you can learn to go fast. So if you can go good around point. a corner really well, you can you can start going a little quicker with a good fast bike. So those SV six fifties and and the one thousand, they had a wicked rear tail light. It was just really cool design that they put on those. Yeah, really cool bikes. They weren't that expensive either, so they were reasonably priced bikes to get into the the racing scene. But well, they weren't so I, much. I think I high performance. Yeah, not so. Yeah, you could convert them into high, high performance. Oh yeah, a little bit of high performance, but not too crazy. But um, I rode a, I raced a RZ three fifty Yamaha in a lightweight superbike. So that that was I campaigned that for a handful of years, and um, you know that was a ton of fun. It's that motor is the RZ three fifty. It was a liquid cooled twin twin cylinder two stroke motor. It's now what's in the Yamaha Banshee four-wheeler. So, it, and mine had been totally worked over by an engineer that worked for Porsche. Uh, at the time, oh, I moved from the Dallas-Fort Worth area down to uh, southwest Florida. And this guy had cut the reeds off the front of the, the intake and 
welded uh, YZ490 reeds on it. Had a really big set of carburetors. Had these big reeds. It had a Falco knife, knife-edged polished crank in it, so it revved super fast. And um, I mean, it as a little as a little uh, 350, it put out almost 75 horsepower. But the bike was super light. I could pick it up and put it in the back of my truck. Um, so <laughs> I actually won quite a few lightweight superbike races until the the bike that I couldn't beat with a good rider was um, the uh, R, uh, R6. When the Yamaha R6 came out, it just totally outclassed everybody. But um, short tracks, man, I could give everyone a run for their money on that two-stroke. <laughs> oh, I bet. I, Those, they kicked that me out of That 350 motor. It was super fun, like wheelie and third gear type fun. Uh, they kicked me out of the antique. Uh, there was like a an antique league with uh, the league was CCS out of Florida. They're still running around Florida, but um, yeah, they wouldn't let me race in the uh, in the vintage class because the bike was too fast, <laughs> too modified. <laughs> <laughs> well, those banshees, God, those things were insane, man. They would go just scream. Yeah, just imagine slapping one of those in a small sport bike. Uh, it was kind of fun. Holy, yeah, that's yeah, that's a lot. Mine was a Kenny Roberts repl- replica, but we took a we had bought an aftermarket fairing that was like a TZ two fifty looking fairing, so the GP the little GP bike, and so it looked like that. Um, but it was I don't even remember what year that might that might have been a. Bike might have only been an eighty-eight or a ninety. I can't remember. So, Kenro, so was it yellow and black? It was in its original colors. Yep. Okay. But mine was all white, like like a billboard. You know, sponsors, please apply here. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so you must have been a fan of the yeah. the Isle of Man TT racing. Oh yeah, yeah. You remember? Um, you remember the British bike magazine performance bike? In Superbike? I don't think so. So back in the day, they were known for really crazy antics. And so they would race Isle of Man and, and Silverton, all, all the Brit- or, yeah, Silverthorne, maybe. They'd race all the British scenes, and they were always riding wheelies. And it kinda, they kind of made our American journalist magazines, like Cycle World Motorcyclist, look really lame in comparison. Because these guys were, like, running top speed and doing crazy Crazy stuff, fun stuff, but um, yeah, that was, yeah, I, I remember the Isle of Man. I've never, have you been over there for that? No, I never have. I think it would be, it'd be cool to go there, but I mean, granted, you're only gonna see split seconds of everything, but that is, <laughs> I think it's kind of on a, a bucket list to just see it and see how just to go. Yeah, I I worked in the, I worked out of London for for a number of years, so. Um, while I was over there, I had written a book and written some curriculum and my business partner was based in Surrey, which is south of London. <clears throat> so I was over there a lot. And one of the trips that I, I went over, uh, mostly speaking in churches and doing consulting, I snuck out to a place called the Ace Cafe. Oh, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. That would be a dream to yeah. go there. And it's like a big bike museum. It's sort of like it's sort of like going to a hard rock cafe, but it's all old motorcycle related because back in the day they had the ring road around London and they take these, these bikes, these 
Triumphs and Bonnevilles and Nortons, and they'd strip everything off of them to make them as light as possible to go really, really fast. And then they'd race around that loop, and then you know they'd end up back at the Ace Cafe, where you know winner takes all type thing. And it was just their weekly sort of, you know, in, in America we came out of World War II, and our guys jumped into into motorcycle clubs, and we got into Harleys and all that kind of stuff, but. In the in the UK, they got into more sporty type sport bike racing and such like that, which then evolved into uh, things like the Isle of Man, and they they've always had a crazy performance edge in in uh, in England compared to normal riding over over here. So well, the Ace Cap the Aces Cafe is old too. That was actually a bombing target of the Germans in World War Two. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, I've no I did some research. And was a big fan of it, and I had sent them some uh, emails this years ago. I mean, now I've got rid of my my classic beer fridge that I had forever out here in the shop. Died, but they sent me some uh, Aces Cafe stickers, and I had one on the oh, that's cool on the door of my old beer fridge. I still got some Ace Cafe shirts, and uh, I'd stuck stickers all over one of my my Harleys, but of course that one got you know used and sold, and couldn't keep the sticker. <laughs> yeah, man, those are good memories. <laughs> That's fun. Oh, I bet. I bet. So, what do you think? You know, why do you enjoy traveling so much by motorcycle? What is it that just gets you? You know, I think it's a soul connection between just being out in in Mother Nature and having the 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 smells, the 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 breezes, the different the different weather we encounter. I mean, it's an adventure. And I think, you know, God made us for adventure. And so I, I, I love to travel uh, primarily by bike. In fact, um, the, the ministry I work with now is called Youth for Christ. It's an evangelism ministry for teens and such, but we've got 130 chapters around the country and I'm traveling a bit. And one of the things I, I asked them, I said, can I, can I like turn in my, just my gas receipts instead of, mileage because mileage is 60 something cents a mile that's too much but they let me do that and so i ride all over the country showing up to chapters and doing different things with with like donors and stuff but like i'll leave out um on the second which is i think monday march uh, maybe march 4th which is monday and i'm riding from here colorado to um the dallas fort worth area and and it's it's my favorite way to get around for a lot of reasons. One is it just, you know, it just lets me unplug my mind and, and I've got a, I've got a headset like everybody else and I can listen to my phone calls. I can take business calls while I'm on the road, but I generally just kind of try to just think about life and enjoy the ride and the music and everything else. But yeah, there'd, there'd be a big piece of me missing if I couldn't travel by motorcycle everywhere. I bet I could imagine with, with you know the amount of travel you do, how you know motorcycling can can tie into it. Now, with you know with your career, you know you do a lot with uh, Christian Youth Ministries. Mm-hmm. Is there ever any you know stereotype or you know you catch people off guard when you know you pull up there and you Harley, you know, you know dressed up in oh, you yeah. know the biker garb that we all wear? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I um. I mean, we work with troubled kids, so the group of volunteers and staff and leaders are, are you know, they, they're really cool and edgy and fun. So that's a, it's not your stuffy church crowd, but um, 
Yeah, when I show up as a vice president from the national office here in Denver, um, and I'm on a Harley and I've got the the look and whatever, it immediately lowers a wall for them. You know, they're like, oh, okay, this guy's all right. You know, I smoke cigars. I drink whiskey. I love good craft beer. You know, I'm, I'm probably more like Jesus than your regular religious type these days. <laughs> <laughs> I remind people, I'm talking, the wine. what's Jesus's? Yeah, what's, that's, that's Jesus's first miracle is water into wine. So I may offend a few on that one, but hey, look it up. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy, uh, I enjoy the breaking of the stereotype because I'm, I'm re- a relational guy. I'm real relational with, with Jesus. I'm not a very religious guy. I mean, I've been a church pastor for 14 years and, um, you know, I, I, I'm more interested in the individuals than him in building a, a, a church. So for, per se, so it's, um, yeah, man, I, I love that I can be real and just kind of run around the country on a bike and, you know, no, no judgmental stuff with my groups. <laughs> it, no, which, you I know, it's if cool. Offended, if someone's offended by my tattoos and the fact that I ride a Harley, that's probably not the religious group I'm going to hang out with anyways. <laughs> yeah. And I could see how maybe, you know, if you're dealing with, you know, like you say, troubled youth and, you know, they see you coming up like they are. They might think, well, okay, maybe, you know, he's, you know, maybe they think, you know, you can relate or make it easier to be approached, more approachable. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is that way for sure. And, you know, I didn't think about it at the time when I first got hired. I've only been with Youth for Christ for a year. Um, before that, I had a construction company. And before that, I was I was consulting and um had a consulting business for a number of years and then had a 14 year run as a pastor. So when I first was interviewing, I didn't really think about the connection pieces. I just thought, you know what? I'm used to riding around the country now and this is what I do. And so if they're going to hire me, this is who they get, you know, like it or not, it's just part of me. And they loved it. So, um, and then as I rode around, I realized, yeah, this is a real advantage. You know, people are more approachable, when you're just a regular guy, then people are nervous around religious, call them religious professionals, pastors and stuff like that. People get really uptight anyway. So anything I can do to make them just relax a little bit and be normal, it's, it's great. No, that's, yeah, I like that. It's a good point. I know it's like when we, uh, we were talking last week, you know, you brought up a good point of, you know, yourself. I mean, we had, you know, a common ground for both of us where, we enjoy long distance riding and you brought up the point. It's like, you know, you yourself and I were, you know, we're very close in age and you look at a lot of the other people, you know, with, within that group of people that like it, I, you know, throw say Michael wrong way and, and go home Ken who are, you know, much older gentlemen yeah. than, than you or I, well, I don't want to age them and make it sound like we're calling them old, but you know, Oh, those guys are super not- old. Come on. but man if i could ride as much as they did that'd be awesome but no you brought up a great point is how we're like the younger group the younger people in that group there's not a lot of people under us that have found that passion or that enjoy that part of motorcycle riding, or they haven't found it i don't know and i guess you could look at the aspect of you know maybe some people also you know raising families and kids and and that which i totally get that was me when i was that age you know my wife and i we had children very young but you know it, 
Yeah. It really made me think when you brought that point up when we were talking earlier this week. Yeah, you know, I, I really admire, um, you know, guys like Ken and Andrews. He, he and I were on the phone the other day, and um, I, I just think the world of him. And he's an admin on my long-distance motorcycle fan page. And, you know, Ken Phoenix and John Anderson. There's a whole bunch of really good men out there that um, – mm-hmm. I don't know Riot well, but the time I've hung, I've seen him and hung out with him, I, I really think a lot about him. He's a good dude. Same thing with Chris Hopper. You know, I, I've been peripheral friends with a lot of these guys, uh, some of them closer than others. And, yeah, the under 50 crowd that's kind of getting to the stage where the kids are growing up, they're getting economically able to go ride and do more stuff. Yeah, I mean, we, we got to make this sport easier to enter easier to understand. And um, yeah, I think the the desire of young people to get on a bike and ride long distance, that's, I do believe that's still there. You know, I don't, I don't think that's going away economically. You, you got some interesting things that are facing this younger generation. And even, you know, you and I are both on the, the younger side of generation X and the millennials are following right behind us in age and in Gen Z. So the younger generations are faced with a lot of higher cost of living, higher housing costs, you know, higher debt levels. Let them get into student loan debt and they're drowning in that. They're going to mortgage before they even buy a house. Um, so that's going to affect the type of bikes they buy. That's not saying that they won't get into bikes, but, you know, some of these manufacturers are starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, 20 somethings aren't dumping $35,000 for a new bike. Not, not very many triumphs coming out with cheaper motorcycles. You've got some really good bikes from Honda and Kawasaki that are value value motorcycles that are still really good bikes. Oh, the ones I could throw. I used, I used to ride a Suzuki Boulevard. I had the C50 great bike, great platform. I mean, yeah, they, you know, I don't want to say they cut costs, but they did some, you know, the fenders were, you know, plastic. They're, you know, heavy duty quality. But they, the way they yeah. built the bike, they made it affordable. And it was a great, comfortable platform. I mean, the, the boulevards, I mean, that's, you know, the Intruder, the Volusia. When Suzuki rebranded their all their touring style bikes into the boulevard lineup, dude, they were great bikes. Yeah. And, th- and there's a lot of really good ones out there. My uncle owns um, Suzuki Kawasaki of Paris, Texas. It's on the loop over there, kind of close to the um, Paris Harley-Davidson. Brad's owned that dealership for, I want to say, 40 years. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really good things out there. And I think I think if we're going to see the long-distance community continue to thrive, it's going to take the sages of the world, the like Ken and those kind of guys, that just take a little time to mentor and uh, a little time to help help those of us who are getting into the stage of life where we can actually get out and go, uh, just help us understand it. I mean, I, I hang out in the Hoka Hay crowd. Uh, in fact, you and I passed probably passed each other at, in South Dakota in 2002. I, I bet we did. And I also love the Iron, Iron Butt Association and Iron Butt Rally. You know, I was up at the checkpoint at the Iron Butt Rally here in Denver helping my, my buddy – John changes uh, changes oil and do some stuff to his bike, but yeah, and I, I got to clean off all the bugs from Ben Ernst's bike. What a what an honor, you know! I got to clean the bugs 
<laughs> Good oh, guy. Big Ben. I, I <laughs> Big Ben. Yeah, these are all fantastic dudes. You know, they're, they're willing to take the time to teach, whether it be um, base camp software or just help understand the, the rally scene. John came back from the heart of Texas uh, rally and um, showed me his rally book and showed me his, all the things he was trying to figure out and, you know, his route planning and all that. Man, that got me fired up. And uh, that's the kind of thing we got to figure out how to do more and more of whether it's through the Harley owners groups or whatever the local motorcycle clubs are. Uh, if we can, if we can show the thrill of um, long distance riding to the next generation, they'll be hooked. It's a God given thing that people like to explore and adventure on a motorcycle, man. We were created that way. So the rally, right. And, and I think some people, when they first hear, I think they get confused because uh, maybe they instantly think of the Sturges, you know, type bike rally. They don't understand that. You know the the rally stuff and like what you know we're talking about now is it's a self guided scavenger hunt and there's so many different ones yeah. I haven't done one I I really want to there was one actually in Washington and Oregon the the PNW GTX rally but it falls yeah. the next day after my Monsters Over Mountains ride it's like well I I can't do it but there is uh, Nancy Oz and somebody else have put together what's called the PNW Grand Tour. It's a six-month awesome. self-guided scavenger hunt for Washington, Oregon. Was there eight, eight sites in Washington, eight in Oregon, three in Northern California, three in Idaho, and three in uh, Western Montana. And you have August, or August, excuse me, April 1st to October 31st. That's awesome. I, I love that kind of stuff. There's also um, the Tour of Honor where you're we're looking for sites all over the country Yep, uh, that are – memorial sites um yeah for our veterans and soldiers and then you've also got the um ride to eat scavenger hunt for food i'm all about yeah, solo and reefs you know? oh yeah me too i'm all about good food so you, there's a lot of really fun ones um yeah i i can't wait to get more involved in that kind of scene uh for right now i just i have my little long distance motorcycle fan page and we post all the rides up there. We, we want people doing whatever they enjoy. We want them to, to throw their ride adventures and document them up there. You know? Oh, your, so. your Facebook group is great. The long distance motorcycle fans page on Facebook is a great place for that. And speaking of which I got to ask now, yes, I know you're talking about our good mutual friend, Mr. Go home. Ken, have you signed any of his books yet? Any of the black books? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Um, I've actually, <laughs> I've seen him a few times, but he was in, in ride mode. I, I hung out with him a little bit before the start of the Hoka Hay, and he was, you know, getting his stuff together and getting, getting ready to roll. And then I saw him again at the checkpoint at the um, Iron Butt Rally in Denver. And, again, time crunch to change the oil in the bike and, and get some rest and shower up. So I do look forward to hanging out with some of these guys around the country and and I mean, shoot, I'm right off of 25 going north in uh, Colorado in Monument. My house is really easy to get to from from anyone that's coming into the front range to ride the Rocky Mountains. So uh, I'd love to see e even being able to host. we got a local brewery right down the street, host a bunch of the guys to, that are riding through town. Man, that's, that's life-giving to me. You know, I, I might even buy a bunch of the beers for everybody. 
Well, if things work out right, I might be down in that area a couple times a year, not far from you. Yeah, Frank Orlando just mentioned the um, America's Ultimate Long Distance Riding. Yeah, that's really – that's a good one too. That's super cool. Self-guided again, get points for different activities and such. So, yeah. Oh, here's one, Frank. Yeah. Hogback Twister Challenge. Never heard of that one. I'll have to look it up. That's, yeah, because that's right down in your neck of the woods. It's a Colorado run that's put oh, on really? down in Colorado. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, I just joined the um, the hog chapter here, the 405. They've got some new folks that are managing it that are really into writing. I had looked into it about, I don't know, five or six years ago, and they didn't really write. I'm like, man, what do you guys do? You just kind of hang out? That's fun, but I want to ride when I'm off. And um, the new group is writing quite a bit. So I'm, I'm looking to get more in- engaged even with the Harley owners groups that do put some miles on the bikes. Yeah, Frank was saying the Hogback Twister Challenge is based out of Boulder, Colorado. End of July. I know he's gone down there a few times uh, reading it. I was trying to look up the uh, website that has all the – here we go. It's um, jasonjonas.com, rides.jasonjonas.com. It's got a list of all of the rally rides on there. You can sign up. He's got direct links. He's done a great job of – creating that website. I'll, I'll message it to you if you don't have it. So you can, yeah, do that. That'd be great. Notes. But, um, he's really just collected all the available rides around the country and stuck them in one place to, to find easily. But yeah, that that's kind of the next frontier for me is spending more time doing rallies and things like that. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I got roasted on my own page by the guys because, like I'll crank out a handful of thousand mile days and 13, 1400 mile days. You know, I, I can, I can do um, saddle sores, which are a thousand or bun burners. You know, you get the gold or the silver, depending on the 24 or 36 hours, but I never turn them in. I'm like, you know what? I'm really cheap and I, I'm all, I'm a big iron butt fan. Okay. But I'm cheap. And for me to spend another 40 bucks for someone to send me a piece of paper I'm like, eh. <laughs> it depends if it's a special ride. So understandable. Again, I'm I support. Yeah, I support what they do. I don't mean any I'm not throwing shade at those guys. I really like them, but uh, I I love to know how much Ken spends on uh you know, go home Ken spends on certificates and getting his documentation because the dude cranks out tons of them. <laughs> oh, that he does. I mean, he's got his the binders he's put together. All his certificates is impressive. I might. I had two daughters get married over the last couple of years. They were fourteen months apart getting married, and uh, I don't know if anyone's paid for a wedding. You know, recently. Oh, yeah, dumb. They're not cheap. Yeah, last. Uh, yeah, last year. Uh, so you, I, you know, I saw a thing on the. It was on the radio. They so said now the average cost of a wedding is thirty thousand dollars. I believe it. I believe yeah. it. I had I had one married this last July. My middle daughter got married. My oldest got married about fourteen months earlier than that, and they had very different styles. You know, one um, one daughter wanted to rival the queen's wedding. The other one wanted a very simple wedding. <laughs> Someone asked me what the bikes are in the background. Yeah. Okay, so. 
So the uh, this is uh, the Stars and Stripes bike is a seventy two CB five hundred. It's my father in law's bike. He's had it since he was like twenty years old or so, and he's in his sixties now. So when he when he gets back to town, one of the projects we're gonna do is um is we're gonna rebuild that motor so he can ride with me more. It's it's got some um uh, it's burning some oil because it's leaking down the valve seals. But it's a really cool custom bike. And the other bike, this is my daily driver. That's a 2016 Ultra Limited Harley. It's the last year of the twin cam. But um, great bike. I, I, I really wrestled with whether to buy the M8 or the twin cam. And I actually went with this one, which uh, it's just a stage one, but it runs really strong. And um I just, I like the feel, it's hard to describe, but I like the feel of the twin cam more than I like the feel of the M8. They really, they really smoothed out the M8. Uh, again, great motor. They get some crazy power out of those things, but I just like the twin cam uh, a little bit more. So I'm with you there. I totally agree. Plus anybody who knows Harley, you don't buy a first year Harley anything. <laughs> <laughs> no. I looked at buying the Pan America. It, we're all the test dummies for the uh, engineering group there. So, I mean, I'm excited to see what happens with these new 121 variable valve motors and stuff. But I wouldn't want to own the first couple of years of them. I'm a little leery. Of no, that. I think I'd I'd wait, you know, three to five, and then say, okay, you know, got some uh, got some bugs worked out. This 2016 I bought um, about. 20 months ago, I guess. And it had about 15,000 miles on it. It's got 56,000 on it now. Um, and I've, it's the last year that they made that, that um, twin cam. And so I figure if any of the bikes are going to have the bugs worked out, it's going to be that year model. Uh, and I really like it. It's, it's been a great bike. Oh, I, I love mine. I mean, I got, you know, the same thing. I run a twin cam. I mean, I have the older, the older one, the 88, but I, I love it. A buddy of mine just gave me a, a Vance and Heinz exhaust. Um, so I had a, had a Chromeworks exhaust on it. And I, I kept having issues with that Chromeworks exhaust. You know, whether it be the slip-on slipping off, I had to keep replacing the – and I kept, buy, yeah, I kept buying the brand-new uh, clamps for the slip-ons, and they'd shake themselves off after a few thousand miles still. So um, I, I did put that new Vance and Heinz on there and a new tuner. It runs really strong, but probably my favorite upgrade to that bike. I got two favorites. Well, maybe three. My first favorite upgrade was going to a legend suspension that totally transformed the ride of that bike. Uh, and I didn't do the front end. I just did the back. I'm saving up someday to be able to do the front end, but man, the legend suspension on the back just totally transformed it. My wife will ride with me probably 80% of the time. I'm two up most of the time. Uh, and then the second, my second favorite upgrade was my wild ass seat that, um, it, you know, he's a friend of the show, Craig and the guys there, but man, that wild ass seat made me stop searching for the ultimate seat. I just threw the wild ass on the stock seat and it figured out how to air it up. Right. And I've, I've had no seat problems at all. Uh, and then the, um, the last upgrade there's a local shop here called Freedom Shields. They do windscreens. And, oh, yeah, I've uh, heard of Freedom Shields. 
real they're real thick they're real good quality windscreens they're made right here in colorado and uh, that's a freedom uh recurve freedom shield it's got the curve on it but also it's a little wider so my passenger doesn't have a lot of air on on her either so those are those are really my three favorite upgrades at the moment i had the long ride shield and then i was fortunate enough when i had brian clock on we got to talking after the show and he made some comments. He says, oh, you, you need this. And, you know, fortunate to do this. It's amazing the people I've got to meet. And I sometimes scroll through my phone. It's amazing some of the phone numbers that I have. He's like, you got my phone. He goes, text me address. I'm going to fix your problems. Like, what problems? He was like, I'm going to fix it. Don't you worry. And, you know, he's fortunate. I got, That's you know, awesome. the clockworks windshield. And, no, I, I do like it. It took a little bit of getting used to as opposed to, you know, the the long ride I have. But, no, I, I really like it. it. It does really help push the air over because I got the touring one. I think it's a 17 inch, which he recommended. I'm like, oh, that's going to be way too tall. There's no way. And oh, no, he was 100% correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I've looked at the Chromeworks as, uh, or the uh, Clockworks, and they've do, they put out some really fine products. But uh, yeah, I, I've actually got. I don't know how many screens I've got up on my wall over here. I probably have five different ones I've tried from the cheap Amazon ones to the, to, to higher and higher class. And I, I ride so much. I keep tearing them up and they get all scratched up and you don't look very good at night. You kind of distort a little bit. I prefer to have a nice, clean, fresh shield every riding season. So, so much riding you've done. Have you upgraded any of your lighting? running no auxiliary lights or anything you know i haven't i'm running um well i take that back when i bought this bike it had the daymaker lights on it and they work pretty good at night i haven't run any auxiliary uh lighting i'd love to just haven't been able to save up enough to get them yet um john anderson let me borrow his uh brand new gold wing at the time and he had some uh what were those? They were, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but man, they were amazing lights. And as soon as I hit the lights, I started laughing, man. It like freaking melted all the deer in my neighborhood. I couldn't believe how bright they were. Denali's? Um, yeah. The Who's the parent company on the Denali light? Clearwater. I'm not they sure. Clear, I think the Clearwater lights is what he had. Maybe they're two separate companies. I'm not. I'm not sure, but yeah, Clearwaters were what he had, and uh, they're amazing. What, are you running any auxiliary lights on yours? Um, I got a set for Christmas. My son bought me a set of uh, co-led LEDs. They're supposed to be all the reviews where I'd read. They're supposed to be great, and I'm going to get those mounted on. I mean, I got the Custom Dynamics uh, Pro Beam headlight, and then I also have their Pro Beam fog lights. And I have the caliper brake mount. So the fog lights are actually mounted to my brake calipers. So they will follow oh, the wheel, cool. which I really love those, especially, you know, slow speed maneuvering at night, like coming home, I, you know, turn on my road or whatnot. And it, they are freaking amazing. Those caliper mounts when you, you know, turn and whatnot, because they're going to follow your lights where, you know, with the road glide, you have the fixed fairing. So yeah. it is, it is really nice having those. I really like those the caliper mounts. That's cool. I live in an area that's really dark. Um, we're at 7,400 feet. Don't have a lot of street lights. We don't have any street lights. And uh, man, when the, when it's dark here, it's really dark. 
And so I need all the lighting that I can get. Um, but it's funny, you know, I, I can see a whole lot better than I could on my 78 CB 750. So maybe I've, uh, <laughs> when I ride at night, I just crank the radio up super loud and turn my lights on. I, I run the high beam. I've got that little modification where the high beam works with the running lights. And mm -hmm. that makes it a little bit better too. But, um, now someday I'll get me some really cool auxiliary lights. I even thought about going down to like um, Harbor Freight and buying some of those running those running lights. <laughs> a lot of people do. I mean, it, you know, you you live within your means. I guess is a great way to put it. You know, with stuff. Yeah, spot on. And but yeah, the coleds. I'm exactly. really looking forward to trying those. I was like, you know, when I got you know hooked up with Custom Dynamics and you know the new headlight, which I thought, man, this thing is. It was night and day difference from the stock. I mean, it absolutely amazing. And the fog lights, hey, this is great. And last year when we were doing the uh, Monsters Over Mountains, Shell Federson came to ride. She's out of somewhere back east. And she had the Denali's, and she came up next to me. We were up around uh, Flathead Lake, and it was 11 to midnight. And, you know, we basically, you know, the old saying, you know, run suicide down the highway. She clicked on her Denali's and, like, I might as well not even have lights because this just made it look like I don't have nothing. I'm like, holy crap, this is freaking amazing. Yeah. And it's like, okay, more lights are needed, especially at night. I mean, I don't think you can have enough lights. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And uh, I've even played with the FLIR system on my friend David's bike. Uh, David, yeah, I looked at his. I mean, Parker. Yeah, he had a cool setup. Uh, of course, he, he had a pretty bad mishap during Hoka Hay 22 and you know yeah. my construction company did some renovation at his house he's for all that don't know he's in a um he's a quadriplegic now he's he's in a uh, motorized chair because of a wreck a uh, pretty pretty bad wreck but good good dude was, still very happy I was actually texting with him today because um, I think it was him and I want to say Lionel that both were running the FLIR systems on their bike and I remember looking at that when we were at Black Hills Harley the day before everybody left. It's like, holy cow, this is, it was neat to go around all these guys that are really into it and seeing the different setups of how everybody does stuff. It was like being in a candy store, looking at everybody's bikes, like, oh, this is great. This is cool. And you can get a lot of tips, a lot of advice and ideas. And, you know, everybody within that, you know, that community is so great to talk to and we'll explain stuff and so much information it was almost information overload but it was so cool getting to yeah. see everything and and just getting ideas and an education yeah the hoka is super unique because they're carrying so much gear for camping the whole time and then they've also got to run that those crazy clipboards and see where they're going you know if you don't know uh you know audience wise these guys can't use gps at all in the hoka Hays. they've got a They've got turn-by-turn -turn instructions. It's like 50 miles turn right at this road, another 45 miles turn left at this road. It's all back road. There's no interstate. And, you know, they've got to run some lighting systems so they can see their clipboard for what they're what they're looking at. But I asked, you know, I always ask before I take pictures of other people's bikes, and um, everybody was really cool. I've, I've got pictures of a ton of bikes at the OK. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think they can run auxiliary fuel tanks either in the OK. No, they can't. They got to run stock. You can run six gallon because that's, I think, Indian and both Harley. Plus, with the Hoka Hay, you can only run American made bikes. Yeah. 
when I was at the uh, checkpoint for the Iron Butt Rally uh, this last summer, uh, man, I, I took a lot of pictures of all kinds of awesome bikes with with cool things. And that one of the things I've been looking to do to mine is to put a tail dragger auxiliary tank on the back end of it. Um, I've seen some on, on, on my Facebook page that look really cool. I want a black one so it doesn't really stand out. And um, I would love to have another – I think they can run like 11 gallons or so. So my, so my bike holds six and uh, so to run another five gallons would be awesome. I think I'd have to pee off the side of the bike going on the highway though. But outside of that, <laughs> I probably could manage it. <laughs> that could the be a whole game. <laughs> oh yeah. It I, takes your I range. I not a catheter or nothing like that. <laughs> no. Some of these people I are crazy. Some are absolute diehards. That, that that's no joke. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Me I'd rather neither. just figure out how to pee off the bike. That sounds more entertaining. <laughs> I'll just stop for a minute and, and pee on the side of the bushes. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't take that long. No. So anyways. Yeah, so what, how long were you up at the Hokahay uh, launch? Uh, let's see. We got there... Friday night, went up there Saturday to see everybody. Of course, that's when my my bike broke down. So I was at Black Hills all day long because my brand new charging system that I put in that had maybe three thousand miles on it failed. Mm. And so my bike ended up. They ended up being able to get it in that day, but they had it all day long replacing it, and which sucked because you know, like you, I mean, I'm fortunate. You know, being mechanically inclined, I can work on my own bike, and that was the first and only time I've ever had my motorcycle in the shop. And but they were great about it. They there's a few little mishaps they had, but they compensated me very well for it. And you know, they were great. You know, a great dealership to deal with. I think I came in. I rode up on Friday from uh, Colorado. Colorado to South Dakota is not a bad ride. It's a real pretty ride, and the freeways are high speed, so it doesn't take long. Uh, I think it might only be like 600 miles from my house up there. And I camped at a campsite right behind the uh, dealership. And so I got to see everybody and hang out and I hit all the tourist spots. You know, you got to go down, was it Spearfish Canyon and Black Blackwood? And I can't remember all the places I went. I, I went, obviously, Needles Highway. and uh, Yeah, we did Needles on Sunday. Spearfish Canyon, but when we were over there in Sturges last year, well, let's say last year, in 23, fortunate enough, my wife and I went over there, and we worked for uh, Wild Ass for a week, and Craig, one of the days, because we stayed in uh, just outside, we were only a couple miles from um, Black Hills Harley, so we're in Rapid City, and Craig introduced me to Nemo Canyon, which was a back way to go to Sturges. It's about a 40-minute ride, 45 minutes, but it is absolutely a gorgeous ride. It's like, this is amazing it was so beautiful run through nemo canyon because then it dumps you down on the far west into sturges and that's if you've never done nemo canyon you ever get up that way you got to check out nemo it's a gorgeous ride yeah it's not that bad of a ride from here so my wife and i've been up there a few times to look around like away from the sturges bike week um I've, I've actually never been on the actual Sturgis week. I've always gone either after or before. I was planning to go in 23. A uh, buddy of mine was going to, we had a group of us going and 
his mom ended up going into hospice and I had some challenges with my business that same time that I needed to take care of. And so it kind of blew up my Sturgis 23, but next this year, I'll, I'll definitely, definitely trying to be there this year. I don't have any other distractions. So well, even if you, you ever get up there, uh, well, this year we were fortunate. We stayed with, uh, with the wild ass crew with Craig and his wife, Renee, they had a, you know, rented a big house. So we all stayed there, which was awesome. Uh, but the year before, when we went for the Hoka Hay send off, we camped at the no name campground and RV park. It's right yeah. by the uh, national cemetery before you're coming into Sturgis. And that is an absolute okay. great place to stay. I mean, there's, you can tent camp. They have cabins you can rent. They have, you know, big uh, camping trailers parked there. But they have a restaurant, lounge, and bar in the campground, swimming pool, laundry facility, showers. I mean, they have everything. And Sherry and her husband are great. I mean, they're both motorcycle riders, and that was an absolute cool place to stay. We'd rent a little cabin there, so we stayed there for a weekend. I'll send you a link to their page. But, yeah, that's thank you. it is a great place to stay. Because, I mean, you got basically all the amenities kind of you really need unless you want to go get some extra stuff. But having the restaurant and everything right in the campground so you can have breakfast. I mean, it's not a basic menu. I mean, there's, you know, some good stuff in there, but they had good food and it's just a cool, fun environment to hang out in. You know, breakfast is my favorite three meals of the day. So can't mess up breakfast in my world. I mean, I guess if you burn my pancakes, I'm hacked off, but you know, good bacon and eggs. I'm pretty happy camper. That yeah. sounds awesome. I'm going to definitely look that up. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> great people. It was Excellent. a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, I, I really do enjoy camping off my motorcycle. Um, you know, I saw some of the Hoka Hay guys doing it, and I was like, oh, that's what that's my people group. Because the longest time, uh, I would bring, like, a fold-out chair, and I like a cot. I don't like to sleep on the ground. And then um, I throw my sleeping bag on my cot. And unless it's raining, I don't set up my tent. Uh, my wife one time, she's like, aren't you scared of someone like messing with you? I'm like, why in the world would they mess with a Harley rider on the side of, you know, camping somewhere? I don't like, we're the ones they're scared of. That's not going to happen. I've never been messed with, by the way. Um, but I'll stay at, I, I stay at churches. Uh, I'll stay rest stops. Uh, I like truck stops too. And I usually go knock on the truck stop, uh, the truck driver's door and just ask, Hey, you got any shower tickets? I've, I've, I think I've never not gotten a shower ticket from somebody, but um, yeah, that's, it, it's cheaper. I like that, but it's funny the the ministry I work for, eh, not real crazy about me just can't, tent, you know, tent camping along the way. They'll pay for a hotel and stuff. They're really sweet to me about that. But the other thing I like to do, I like to stay at people's houses. Um, I like people to come by and stay at my house and I like to stay at other people's houses. I've never used the bike bunk bunk a biker thing mm -hmm. i've heard that's could be pretty cool but you know i have gosh all my mini ministry connections and all the years i've spoken in different churches around the country man i just i just look for friends in the region and hit them up tell them when i'm coming through like i'm staying at friends houses um I'm staying with steven petrodine some of my friends in south lake texas it's uh this next trip and um i man, that's that's the way i like to go because i it's not that I'm cheap. I mean, I have the money to pay for hotels and whatever, but it's the adventure of it. If I stay in people's houses, I love the dinner conversation, the after, 
you know, after dinner, cigar and glass of wine or whatever. And uh, oh, I yeah. love that. But if it's camping, man, I, I get a kick out of getting up and smelling the fresh air, being right next to my bike and go, going to find the nearest McDonald's to grab some coffee and take off. It just feels really self-sufficient that way. So, well, And that's what Amy and I do. Like, you know, we've done, you know, two years now, the monsters over mountains. And so we have everybody comes and camps here, you know, now, you know, we have the extra room at the house. Plus, you know, now we have our, you know, the camp trailer and we'll do a big dinner, you know, that Friday night before we all take off and, what some people consider the middle of the night, Saturday morning. And, but no, it, it is fun. You know, you get good dinner and, you know, depending on of course, you know, um, how dry it's been, you know, sometimes you have a campfire, you know, we all sit around the campfire, have a few wobbly pops. Like I said, you know, have a cigar and, and just <laughs> the conversation, the camaraderie of everybody and, you know, then get some sleep and we all hit the road for a fun 1500 plus 36 hour run around the Pacific Northwest and it is fun housing people. It's, you know, so we've, you know, a lot of people, you get to know everybody through the, you know, doing this and through the mile monsters, we told, you know, so many people it's like, Hey, you know, if you're up in the area, Hey, give us a call. We have an extra room, you know, it's, you know, we got the garage and put your bike in the garage and, you know, we, we enjoy entertaining people and, you know, just extending that hospitality and that friendship of, of everybody. It's like, you know, it sounds like a broken record, but, the most awesome part of doing this, doing the V twin life is the friendships I've made with every guest I've had. It's, it is so cool to, to build that friendship and even more. And then, you know, you end an episode, but it doesn't mean that that friend's over, you know, I've so many people, you know, text messages, you know, phone calls, you know, a couple times a month or, or whatnot. And you build that lifelong friendship and, you know, I can take it, look at it as, how many times you've been to the gas station and you're getting fuel in your bike and somebody pulls over, they see something or you're on a bike and that fuel stop is 10 minutes long, but you just made a new friend and it's a lot like this yeah. is, and it's, it's the biggest reward and what's so fun of doing it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm totally wired the same way as you in this, but one of the reasons I started the long distance motorcycle fan page was um, I wanted a place where people could hang out and be known and share all their stories and and not have to worry about heavy moderation and you know having stories removed and that kind of thing and like we have a lot of women writers on our page and we we don't allow them to be harassed or anything it's a safe place for them it's a safe place for new writers to come and ask dumb questions i mean i throw out stupid things all the time that people you know give me a hard time about but you know, I, I wanted to create that kind of environment where you could have that openness to to build friendships and have a, a connecting hub. But I think your podcast has definitely done that too. I, I th I've listened to maybe thirty or forty of your podcasts. So, well, thank you. Um, I was kind of I was kind of half joking when I tagged you and said, "Hey, when do I get to go on the podcast?" But I was actually, you know, there was a few guys that I used to listen to. One of them did the Long Rider radio podcast. Yeah, and what's funny, job. he is, and he's out. He's over North Seattle area, and I would love to try to get in contact with him, but his page is down and everything, and, you know, I'm running out yeah, of I think ways to try to get busy. a hold of him. But, mm -hmm. but thank, thank you to you for sacrificing the time and the effort it takes to put these together. You know, this is – this is not a small task and you've done a good job with it. So I appreciate you having the, um, yeah, it's a, Amy's a gracious host. Is Amy your wife? <laughs> yeah. Amy's my wife. And, uh, okay. I mean, it's like Frank's made, we're on one trip. We're over there. He's like, Hey, we can, 
you know, stop by here. We are on a run. It was late at night. He's like, I can call my wife. He's like, we can do pizza. He's like, she don't cook like your wife. <laughs> I just laugh because my wife is a phenomenal cook and, you know, she is a huge supporter and, and a big part of this and a big part of, you know, all the stuff we do for mile monsters. I mean, if it wasn't for all her support and her help and whatnot, there's no way all this could happen. And she's a huge That's part awesome. of it. And we enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun. You know, we've both of us have made, you know, so much friendships for, like we said, and, you know, you can go back to, you know, how you're talking about your Facebook group where, don't be afraid to ask stupid questions because we're all we're all new at some aspect of doing something in life. And there are some of those groups I've seen it myself where, you know, somebody might ask a question and people ridicule them. It's like, you know what? We all come into this, this stage, motorcycles at different stages of life. We're all learning. It's, you know, there there's never a dumb question, in, in my opinion, but some people look at it the other way. And it's yeah. in a way it's sad. Yeah, and I wanted a place where that's not the case. Um, I, I had gotten booted from one of the popular pages for asking asking questions. I wasn't I wasn't doing anything but trying to learn, and the admin pulled me off the page. I was like, man, I'm a pretty easy to get along with guy. I'm pretty low maintenance and a friendly person. Like, wow, if I can get booted, that probably means a lot of people are. <laughs> so I'm like, eh, heck with it. Yeah. I'm gonna start my own page. I mean, Ken, our, our mutual friend, Ken, he, he works really hard to write these ride reports and then to have oh, for sure. down by somebody. Oh man, he's a great writer. And I've, I've actually told him he needs to write some books, just put some stuff out there. In fact, uh, speaking of books, um, let's see, this is one I've been reading. It's about the hopeless class guy rode his, um, 76 bmw and it had like half a million miles on it when he wrote it it's a great read uh this is a fun one you can get that on amazon too but it's getting to be the time of year where people uh people come out to colorado for vacation check this book out it's got all the cool motorcycle roads and it divides it by region and has great explanation of how to how to get around them so you can plan your rides really well with that. It's I funny you're talking go, about uh, riding to riding to Colorado. My wife said we could ride to Colorado if we could go stay at the um oh god uh the Stanley Hotel. Broadmoor? Oh no Stanley, Stanley Hotel yeah, in Estes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool one. Um I've never She's stayed there, but we've eaten. They've got a, a museum in the downstairs to all the movies that have been filmed there. The Shining is obviously the popular one that was filmed oh, there yeah. at the Stanley. Um, but also there's a whole bunch of other movies that have been filmed there. Uh, and there's some, they've got some cool pictures downstairs of some ghost encounters. Um, it's, it's really crazy. Hey, one more book people would like if they come into Colorado. This one's all the mountain passes. You can find this one on uh, Amazon as well. Oh, I need that. 53 mountain passes and i think i've hit almost every one of them at this point but um it's fun to some of them are dirt some of them i've got a klr 650 dirt bike and uh, that's the one i take on the mountain passes but actually you know my my ultra limited is pretty decent in the dirt too i've been surprised at how much uh, dirt riding i can actually do on that crazy bike get a lot of weird looks but hey it's a motorcycle it's supposed to go there i mean look at the old world war ii photos those dudes rode things everywhere. <laughs> well, it's crazy the, the oh. luck you've had with your KLR because they seem so 
you know, a tried and true bike that will just go forever. And you've been through, I think we were talking three engines. Yeah, I'm on my third engine rebuild. I think I may have 70,000 plus on it, but um, I seized it up in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico where Billy the Kid was shot down. Um, I was on a trip from Texas. My dad had just rebuilt the motor and it, it, I checked the oil on it and I was only running 70, 75, so 5,000 RPMs. It redlines at like 9,000 or so. So it wasn't taxed. I mean, it's, it's not cruising down like our Harley's cruise at a low RPM, but it seized up and I had to get trailered in. Actually, a dude stopped, a dude on a Triumph stopped and he said, Hey, I got a tow rope. Can you hang on to this and ride? And I said, yeah. So he pulled me like 20 miles into town. I was holding onto a tow rope off the front <laughs> of the bike. My, my shoulder was killing me, but I got in. But yeah, I, I beat the crap out of my KLR. It's got, um, it's got the big I, IBS gas tank on it. It's a, I'll, I'll have to put some pictures up on, on our long distance fan page, but, I mean, it's, it's, I've ridden it on a motocross track. Uh, it's got a special tuned suspension. I mean, I have not been nice to that bike. So the fact that it's gone through a few motors, that's probably more owner operator than anything, but I do like to point out my Harley behind us. I've never had any issues with that thing. I read the heck out of it. And it's, it's never given me a problem. So you, you made one point of the, you know, things that you love the best, your three things. What's one thing that you don't like about it? Um, gosh, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's heavy, but that kind of goes with the territory. I was enjoying the heavy bike today when the wind was 50 plus miles an hour. I mean, it's stable, but, uh, I've never dumped it in the dirt, which I run through mountain passes from time to time on it. That would suck. Um, I don't know that I have anything I really don't like about it. I've, I'd love to have a whole lot more horsepower, but you know, I, you can never have too much horsepower, but I wouldn't want to give up the gas mileage. You know, one of my buddies put a 110 kit with a cam and on his, and he's getting like low thirties miles per gallon. I get, I get pretty consistently 43 to 48. Um, I'll do like that, but yeah, man, See, I, I get to complain about it. I like it. I get 40 to 44 with mine. I mean, mine, I got the uh, gear drive cams. It's been tuned and, you know, some other goodies have been done to the engine, but I still, it wasn't, it was all done before I got it. My dad did it. And so it wasn't so much for, I mean, of course, I guess you can say it is for performance, but it's just a little bit more for touring, you know, a little bit more low end torque and just enough to bring the 88 up a little bit of life with the, basically the 95 inch that's in it with the cams and a couple goodies, but economy wise, it still does great. Even pull, I mean, when, with the wife and I and the trailer, it goes down to 35 to 38 miles a gallon pulling the trailer. That's not bad. No, that's not bad at all. What I want to hear more about your trailer. What kind of like, what's your trailer set up? Um, it's, it's a good one. I <laughs> actually Springer Mike could ask more about it because it was actually a gift from him. It's got the cooler in the front. I'll send you some pictures. It's, I mean, awesome. it's pretty lightweight. You got, 
I don't know, the little box on it is mm, two and a half by maybe three and a half, four feet long. That's got a cooler on the front, the swivel neck hitch on it, but it does, it is great. You don't notice it so much behind you once you're going because it's just rolling behind you. But what I like is if you're, you know, like when Amy and I went, it was, we picked it up on the way. So when we did Sturgis, it was 13 days and you can pack more. Now I wouldn't say pack more, but you can, all the stuff you're taking when you're going longer, you can keep your center gravity lower because it's in the trailer and you're not stacking it higher on the bike, which I really that's enjoyed. Cool. That's a great idea. I, I, that's on my list to get someday as a trailer. Um, I, my wife roughing it for my wife is four star hotels. So <laughs> she's got to bring her extra shoes and <laughs> she's a beautiful woman. So I don't complain, but, uh, Man, she she likes to pack a little heavier than I do. I'm like, you know, you got a pair of underwear. You can wear that four times, inside out and backwards and forwards. That's four. <laughs> that's four days right there. <laughs> well, it's like no when sleep. I mean when we went to Sturgis, that was Amy's longest ride ever on on the bike. And I mean, you got to give. I mean, no joke. I mean, you hear a lot of you know pushes or whatnot, but thanks to Wild Ass, it actually she was able to ride the distance she did. I mean, we had a few days where. We pushed 600 miles, which is amazing for her with, you know, she came off a horse years ago and really lowered, screwed up her lower back and her tailbone and putting my floorboards in the rear as far down as they could go. And the wild ass made an astronomical difference for her. And so going that far was great for her. But like you're saying, you know, traveling with your wife, Amy's like, where are we going to stay? I'm like, well, we'll just go till we're tired. And when we're ready to stop, let's stop. She, ah, I can't do that. Like, what do you mean? Sure we can't. She's like, no, <laughs> let's just, you know, let's plot a destination. Let's just get a room. Okay. You know, no problem. We can do that. But, you know, kind of that's her comfort zone. Let's get a place so we know it's there. I'm like, hey, whatever, you know, that's fine with me. You know, she was coming along for the ride and it was a long ride. So, you know, make comforts. Hey, we can do it your way. I no problem whatsoever. That's awesome. It was. <laughs> that's awesome. Man. So what's some of your, you know, your favorite adventures, you know, that you've done? Do you really stick out? Yeah, um, man, I, I rode the uh, North by Northwest in 2022, and um, it was awesome. We, you know, we took off out of Colorado Springs, and um, I went to the Bonneville Salt Flats and Shiprock, and I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Highway 145 going through the west side of Colorado, thought, no. kind of on the other side of Denver, or excuse me, uh, Durango. Man, I went through that in the rain and in the middle of the night. But the one that tops it all is, is about a little after midnight, I'm rolling up into, I was in Utah, and I'm rolling up into a canyon. It was called the Merker Cemetery and Graveyard. So I, I went up there, and I'm riding up these dirt roads for a, a long ways. And I mean, it's just pitch black. There is nobody out there. And the story on this town was it used to be a real populated uh, mining town, but it caught fire and a bunch of people died up there, like thousands of people, the oh, folklore says. And so they, they, they buried all these people up there on top of this. It's a, at the top of a, of, of, you know, it's on top of the mountain ridge. It's, you go up this dark valley up to the up there. It's then you got to walk like 150 yards to the cemetery, and it's in the middle of the night. And I've got um, 
you know, I've got my helmet on, a modular helmet. I'm wearing all, all my black letters and whatever. I've got a, a long tube flashlight that it works really well uh, to whack things as, as well. But I'm also, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm also, I, yeah, I also carry, I'm from, Te- I'm, I'm born and raised in Texas. So we were born with guns. So I've got, I've got a handgun on too, but I get up to that. I'm talking to my wife on the phone and I'm like, man, this is kind of a creepy area. Well, then I see a car, a couple of cars in the parking lot. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. I'm going to go kind of check this out. I'm already up here. And I, I find um, I find this one kid down there, and he's I'm like, hey man, what are you doing out here? And he's like, uh, we, we're playing airsoft up on top of the hill. I was like, oh okay, cool. So those other kids up here, that's interesting. Middle of the night, absolute middle of nowhere. So I walk up to this 150 yards up this hill to the graveyard, and picture this: the graves are all marked with these little half white picket fences, and they're they're you know they're just squared off. And um, I'm looking for one of a little girl who died in that fire and there's stuffed animals and stuff around her grave. So I've got to use my flashlight and find her, her grave. And while I'm doing that, all these kids are starting to come around. Cause here's this dude in black leather with a flip up helmet and looks kind of creepy. They're like, Hey, mister, what are you doing? I'm like, I thought <laughs> it, something came up just off the top of my head. It said, Hey guys, I'm from the Utah Bureau of, paranormal and we're here investigating some activities that we've heard about i said i don't want to freak you guys out but i I kept it very straight faced i said but we've had some grave disturbances and from what we can tell it's come from the inside of the grave out by the way the dirt's been moved and we're just here every couple of nights (laughs) doing a little check-in on the graves and i had a clipboard which had all my my locations to find and I said, if y'all hear of anything, you see anything, you just let us know, okay? But y'all go on and have fun, do what you're doing. I walk away. Those kids were freaking out. They were terrified. I never told them I was kidding. I just walked off and <laughs> took my pictures. That is and... awesome. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, I got back. I told that story at the North by Northwest uh, to a bunch of the guys. That was a good – we got a kick out of that. But um, I did get called. I, I posted a written version of that on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I got a call from a lady out of um, New Mexico and she runs a paranormal podcast. She's like, Hey, would you go on the paranormal podcast? We heard about your Merker cemetery time. And I was like, how the heck did y'all hear about that? And she said, well, you may not realize this, but that's one of the highest paranormal activity uh, cemeteries. They got, they got like video, they got pictures, they got all kinds of documentation out there of a little girl walking through that cemetery and interacting with people. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Holy like, well, cow. Uh, I got weaponry for, you know, people on this side of the of eternity and I'm a pastor. So I know how to handle demonic activity. <laughs> like I figured, what do I have to lose? Right. Yeah. But yeah, that was quite an adventure. That was a fun night. <laughs> you ever ran out of gas on any of your ventures? I've never run out of gas, but I have had flat tires. Um, oh, you never run out of I, gas. Run... Show's over. Got to go. Not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I've never run out of gas. Well, I take that back. I did run out one time in the parking lot of the QT gas station. I coasted in. That doesn't count. Um, See, I'm I did that too, and everybody makes fun station. of me for that. Well, I think that's when good I... planning right there. 
when Amy and I left Rapid City, heading back from surges last year, we went from there to uh, Great Falls, Montana. And we're you know enjoying the best way to travel motorcycles. You take the back highways, best way. Yep. And we come up to some little T, you know, these back highways, and there's a gas station. I look over there, but all they have is just regular. I didn't have any octane boost with me, and with the cams that are in my bike, old Black Betty does not like regular. It's, and so I look at the fuel, you know, the sign down to, I think it was Hawthorne, Montana, or something like that. I'm like, ooh, that's going to be cutting it close. But I wasn't worried because I had my, I carry two one liter fuel reserve bottles. They were in the trail. I'm like, well, worst case, worst, I'll use the fuel bottles. I said, you know, with that and what's in the tank, I know we can get close. And we're going there and I see the sign. I think it said like one mile or two miles. And about that time, I was just, bah, engine shuts off. I'm like, oh, crap. There's a car behind me. So I get into the center lane of the highway. Car goes by and he was like, what are you doing? I was like, we're out of gas. She's like, well, was the gas light on? Oh, that's been on for a while, honey. <laughs> so, you know, we coast. And I can literally see the gas station. You know, hang a left. You go downhill into the parking lot. You make the sharp turn a little uphill and then to the gas pumps. And we coast to like 20 yards of the fuel pump. And I'm just laughing. And she's <laughs> laughing. She goes, you want to just, you know, dump in the fuel reserve bottles and go over there? Like, nah, just push it. And it's just one of those funny moments. And I knew it was going to be close. I wasn't worried because I had the fuel bottles, but you know, it's just one of those things. <laughs> and then um, last year, um, yeah. I did it going to California too. It was just me when we went down for a mile monster event for one of the boys for Turbo's birthday. Was meeting uh, Frank Orlando in, I think it was Weed, California. It was just some of those little mountain passes. I knew it was going to be close and climb the last hill. I could see the exit that I needed. It was like 100 yards to the exit. And Frank was like 200 yards down the street once I got off the exit and ran out of gas. I'm like, oh, well, time to use the fuel reserve bottle and made it to the gas station. But it's like, man, twice in one year. But it, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's, it's oh, cheap man. insurance. I, you know, carry the fuel bottles and that's, you know, kind of what they're for. But. Sometimes I push it a little too yeah, far. I, on that same trip, I mean, I have a five-gallon tank, and uh, me and Michael Nielsen, when we were going down there, we we stayed the first night in Sutherland, Oregon. And basically another lady that's part of Mile Monsters, Andrea Tooley, she had a good friend in uh, Sutherland. She said, hey, we can stay at my friend's house. She'll put us up for the night. I'm like, hey, perfect. And I stopped at the Chevron, which according to GPS, I was like a half mile from her house. And I took 4.975 gallons in a five-gallon tank. Ooh. Oh, man, you were out. <laughs> yeah, fumes. Yeah. Well, uh, a lot of the places I ride here in Colorado, since I'm right here off the in the Rocky Mountains, if I run out of gas, I may not survive. So I actually do carry um, – I carry this aluminum bag-looking sleeping bag that I can, I can bundle up and it holds uh, body heat. I try to carry what I need to to not get stuck, mostly on my dirt bike because there are times where I get into some sketchy things there. But I, I try to make sure that I can survive whatever I run across if I'm if I'm out there. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons I always have a firearm on me when I'm on a long ride. Hey, Smith and Wesson is one of my favorite insurance policies. <laughs> yeah, I, can, I have a 1911 um, 45. It's a gold cup edition, and that's uh, it's a bright colored one. I'll open carry that that one, 
and I'm right and left-handed, so I can shoot left-handed just as good as I can shoot left uh, right. So that's a that that comes in handy. I never had to use a firearm uh, in any weird situations, but I think it's prevented a few things from happening from time to time. Oh yeah, I mean I I have you know my Smith and Wesson forty that uh, it goes everywhere with me. Just because same thing. I mean I've never had to pull on anybody, but it's just something you get accustomed to the same way you know i grew up with firearms and you know my well all through my almost all through my 20s i worked for department of corrections worked in a maximum security prison where you know firearms and weapons qualifications and carrying weapons well outside you don't get them inside but that was part of the job yeah that's awesome. i mean i grew up with them yeah. i love you know my even my boys we all hunt we fish and you know when you grow up with something you you learn to carry it you learn the respect of the other weapon and you know how to use it yeah no that's that's good but my wife my wife is a big firearms uh girl she loves her assault rifles and she carries a glock and she she she's the gun fanatic in the family which is really funny i mean i don't take her to the gun show because it costs me too much money <laughs> <laughs> she was just asking me to, uh, today on our we went for couple hundred miles uh on the bike today she was asking if we could stock up on ar-15 rounds um uh, uh, yeah of course <laughs> yeah, anytime okay, so my wife I got asks one. about firearm stuff yeah i'm happy to help so when you're traveling some of your your long distance riding do you what do you do for cooking or for food? Do you stop somewhere times or, you know, you take, you know, you like one of those guys that packs a jet boil with stuff or kind of what's your setup for, for eating? Yeah. Great question. Uh, I don't really like to cook on the bike. I don't like to carry food or anything. Uh, I'll carry um, a lot of times I'll pick up a subway sandwich and, and order a foot long and eat half of it for lunch, half of it for dinner. Uh, I don't usually cook on my motorcycle when I'm camping. Um, Outside of like, I carry cliff bars and some snack items. But yeah, when I get up, I just take off for the nearest McDonald's or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. Um, at night, I I enjoy a good meal when I'm on the road. So I'll stop off and eat somewhere, get off the bike, stretch, uh, eat, eat something good, and then go set up to camp. And again, my camp setup is super simple. So it's not like I need daylight to set myself up. Yeah, Best West is um, pretty simple to set up. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my fold-up cot is only about this big by by maybe that that it's a it's not very big, so I can pop that thing together real fast in the dark. And then my sleeping bag, that's pretty simple. But oh, I admit, yeah, even I, my I mean, I'm, my wife. Yeah, my wife got me turned on. I I roll up a tiny little uh, twin size air mattress. I have a little pump that plugs in my cigarette lighter, and I'll admit, I'll sleep in comfort on an air mattress. Yeah, I've, I'm looking up. I've I've got a shelf right here. I'm looking up. I do have an air mattress, um, but I've kind of gotten where I like my cot better because I don't I don't have to worry about it deflating overnight. Um, I'm six foot five, six foot four, six foot five, and so I had to find nope. a long longer cot. And then my stupid cot doesn't fit inside my sleeping bag very well, so I actually have to leave the last part off. So my feet hang down and this is my sleeping, my, uh, excuse me, not my sleeping bag. My tent's not big enough for me to put that cot inside. So I have to build the cot inside the tent if it's raining. Um, but 
Yeah, that's that's my preferred sleeping setup and arrangement. And then meal wise, man, I, uh, I, I, some people call it intermittent fasting. That's the new thing. I just call it waiting a little bit to go find some food, you know, hit the gas station restroom and grab something to eat at McDonald's and off I go. It's pretty so, simple. Uh, are you a tank bag guy that runs a tank bag kind of like little snacks so you can, you know, munch when you're going? Yeah, I, I have uh, the three the three windshield bags on the Ultra Limited, and I put okay. snacks in my middle bag. And um, on my left side, I put um, a, a wipe to wipe off my visor. And on the right side, I put spray so I can spray off my visor. I'm kind of keeping my glasses, my visor clean. I, I'll... I'm a little bit OCD on that stuff, but um, I do have a tank. I have a couple different tank bags, and I'll, I'll carry food inside my tank bags. I've got one that's expandable, pretty big. I can shove all kinds of stuff. Like yesterday, I was right. I rode about uh, a little over 350 miles. I had a bag of beef jerky in my tank bag. Plus, um, I carry these kind of cups, these Stanley cups on in my cup holder, and. Um, I just, I usually, I usually have two of these if I'm on a longer ride. I might throw a gallon of water in my saddlebag. I haven't done like the auxiliary water system. I don't drink that much water when I'm riding. I mean, I don't have an auxiliary tank either, so I can kind of time yeah. time out. If I hit about half a tank, I can start slamming water because I know I'll be off the bike to get gas in just a minute. But, so, um, uh, how long have you been running the Stanley Cup since the whole trend came out, or you know, I, I'm just just curious, you know. <laughs> well, I got this one for Christmas, but okay. I've had a bunch right. of different ones that um, maybe weren't Stanley Cups; they were other versions. But I, in yeah. the morning, when I'm riding to work, I'll put my coffee cup uh, in in the in the cup holder, and I drink coffee on the way to work with my modular helmet. It's, it's I, crazy I've how a, the trend of those Stanley Cups has just exploded with people. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Good for Stanley. Mm-hmm. Um, but I run a Schubert uh, C5 modular helmet these days. I just got this one in September. Uh, once I went to a modular, I, that's my favorite type of helmet. I've had three or four. That's a Neotech above that shoey that's by my shoulder. Uh, that was my helmet for five years. And I Modulars just like to are, open. Yeah, they're game, game changers. changers. Exactly. Yeah, and I run. Um, I do like to have my Cardo headsets in there with noise canceling. That way, I can mm-hmm. take calls on the bike. And I use um, uh, what's my phone mount? Quad lock. They use a vibration dampener for the quad lock, and yeah. Um, I do Zoom calls all the time for work, and if I'm on the bike, I just – if I have enough cell signal, I turn on my camera, and there I am with my helmet on. Freaks people <laughs> out sometimes, like, can you ride your motorcycle and talk, talk on the on, in a meeting? I'm like, uh, yeah. I mean, do you t- have conversations while you're driving? Of course you do. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's no so big actually, deal. Clutch had a question. Uh, what brand of cotter are you using? Do you know? Do you remember what it is? Uh, let's see. I'll tell you. It is. Uh, hang on just a second. I'm almost to it. No problem. Inquiring minds want to know. Okay. Well, 
I'm digging around up here. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to climb up there and look. I don't know exactly, but maybe I'll put it in show show notes. I use this pillow. <laughs> it's a uh, trek not trek trekology uh, pillow. I like that I, one. I think I had that same pillow. My daughter got it for me for Christmas. If I go air mattress, I have this little climate air mattress. And uh, yeah, they're all small. And that's nice. I, I think you know, with, with that, because a lot of you can take the ultralight backpacking gear to somebody. I mean, it, it can be a little bit pricey, but a lot of that stuff compacts so small because, you know, a lot of the ultralight backpacking is like, you know, they, they got to carry what they can on their back. So you can get a lot of gear. For yeah. that, which can also be great for motorcycling. This is a Yang, Yang, Yilang. Well, how do you say that? This is this is a cot I found. Fundango on the other side. It's it's seventy eight point seven inches long, which is pretty much close to my height. Six foot six. Yeah, seventy eight inches. So I had to get the longer cot, but I mean that's how big it is. It's it's about the size of a, a little bit bigger than a football and it's got some tie downs. I don't ever strap it on the outside of my bike, but it usually just goes in a tour pack. So do you ever make the same you mistake know, I made one time where you think your sleeping bag is going to be warm enough for where you're sleeping and you find out that it's not, you know, uh, being in Colorado, what I did is, um, I, I just got the coldest weather sleeping bag could possibly get. And, uh, I've never been too warm. Like if I'm too warm, I just throw my leg out of it. I unzip the sleeping bag. I'm laying there in half my gear anyways. But um, no, you can, you can never have too warm of a sleeping bag. Mine even, mine even zips up over my head and it completely closes me in like a mummy, mummy bag. So yeah. That's what I run whatever, now. It's waterproof. Yeah. When I did yeah, the monsters over mountains, waterproof. I had a 30 degree bag and I think the temperature that night when we stayed up in Bonners Ferry, Idaho was about 30. And uh, yeah, I never got warm, even sleeping in all my clothes and everything. And so I said, never again. So I came home and ordered a zero degree mummy bag and that goes everywhere now. Well, here's a game changer for you. When you get heated gear, um, you can plug your heated gear in and turn it on and just have a battery Ooh. monitor that'll turn off when, when you get down to a certain battery level, but uh, oh, I've only thinking. a couple of, I've only a couple times turned on my heated gear and just shoved it inside my, shoved it inside my uh, sleeping bag so that I'm warm enough. But yeah, no problem. <laughs> That's smart. Add another bonus to the heated uh, gear. I, yep. And if you want to get good heated gear, I, I started on Cycle Gear's heated gear, and it, it's okay. It's not bad. But um, it doesn't last that long. So if you if you use it a lot, it, you'll wear it out. But they have a great warranty at Cycle Gear. Um, but the one that I use now is called a Safe and Warm, um, and that's that's a really good heated gear system. Uh, pretty pretty durable, and that's it, it's got more it's got more of the little heated elements all over it. So yeah. I think that might What'd be something I, I look at. Uh, this is a 
a backwoods Russian cream cigar. The flavor of them, are, oh, that I excellent. love them. Well, when we get together, I'll bring you um, Ezra Zion cigars. That's my favorite. Look Ooh. up EzraZion.com. They make awesome cigars. It's a premium boutique cigar. These are my buddies out of, we all went to church together in Texas. I'll, I'll have, um, I'll have lunch with one of the owners of the cigar company next, next week. And um, uh, Kyle will have a great time. The, the other, if you're a whiskey guy, look up uh, yes. Oaken Eden Whiskey. Open Eden? I don't, Oaken Eden. They have a whiskey. Okay. Um, they have a, a, a wood spiral that they put in their whiskey. It bring, brings out some flavor. Oak Joe Eden. is the Oaken Eden. Joe's the founder and president. Um, I was just with him. I had dinner with him a couple nights ago here in Denver. Wonderful guy. I'll see him in Texas too. He's out of he's out of uh, Westlake, Texas, but they're in like seventeen thousand stores or something like that. There, I used to like. I uh, remember he told me uh, Nicaraguans. Nicaraguans had some good cigars when I used to get some of the the fancy ones too. If you like the flavored cigars, uh, Cigar International has a coffee flavored cigar. It's like less than two dollars a cigar. They're fantastic. They're usually sold out, so you have to. You got to watch for them, but Cigar International, it's a, it's a branded, it's like a factory brand Cigar International coffee cigar. That's one of my favorites. I know Iowa Hog Rider, Brad is a good friend of mine. I've heard about these guys from a few different people, Deadwood Tobacco Company, the Sweet Jane. That's not, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, some, Frank just bought that, uh, bought us. Uh, caught. That's funny. Yeah, I think I can build mine in about 20 seconds. Take it down and put it up in 20 seconds. It doesn't take long. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, Springer Mike's at a good point. Uh, Chris Ledoux Whiskey, they have a bourbon that is phenomenal. I know when I, I saw went over to Hoka Hay. One time. Me too. Chris Ledoux and the Bulls Only Rodeo. <laughs> me, and, me and Amy did. That was an awesome go. show. One of those artists that I was so glad I could see live we were fortunate enough i mean i love comedy too i mean amy and i do we actually got to see robin williams live at the paramount theater in oh. seattle that was probably oh fuck i'm gonna age myself now 20 plus years ago that was <laughs> one of the most amazing i left that the theater i was in so much pain my stomach and my ribs hurt so bad from laughing dear lord oh man that's fun yeah. that's fun yeah, the one I wish I could have seen would have been George Carlin. I would have loved to seen him live. Hmm. Yeah, he's he was really funny. I mean, at least we have the modern technology of video, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's not the best, but it'll work. Very true. Nothing like seeing him live. That's that is man. Well, shoot, Gunner man, you, we're you sh closing down in two hours. I'll go ahead. You got more, man. I'll keep going. I'll hit a cut. You, you asked me some great questions. So thank you for, thank you for your, your thoughtful questions. Um, I'll hit great a couple questions. of ones. Yeah. <laughs> I think we hit like six ones. or seven of the questions just because, I mean, which is great because I was looking forward to this because with your, you know, what you do for a living, you do a lot of speaking. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be great because you know, this is what you kind of do. And I come up with the questions and honestly, yeah. I mean, I, you know, we have probably, I'm up to maybe close to 20 or whatnot. 
and everything has just been great. About it. I think we've hit on like six questions, but that's what makes it great with some of these because you get somebody that loves talking or you can tell that does this and you have a passion for what you do. Plus, you know, you throw in the motorcycle aspect of it and the conversation is just great. It just keeps flowing and flowing. And no, the, these type of episodes doing these is, oh, it's so much fun. And the time just flies and it's like the conversation just keeps going. Well, you're a great uh, interviewer too. So appreciate all you're doing, but uh, I'll hit some of these rapid fire. Okay. So uh, worst experience on two wheels. I was riding back from Arkansas on my CB750 when I was in high school. I'd done a college visit um, and it, I got caught in a snow and ice storm and I didn't have any of the right gear. I had gauntlet gloves, but they weren't even waterproof. And so I was soaking up everything. I just about froze to death on that ride. I literally like laid down in several gas stations along the way just to thaw out. Um, I got really sick. I ended up with hypothermia. Uh, oh geez. I had to, I made it to Paris, Texas from Arkansas, which is East Texas and was able to stay with my, my, um, some of my family out there until I could recover enough to ride the rest of the way home. But I was like shoving newspapers and everything inside my vest, inside my jacket to try to stop wind going through miserable, but I made it. I didn't die. We're fine. Uh, favorite area to ride Colorado. I moved from Texas to Colorado to do two things ride motorcycles and ski. And so I picked this place because of its riding culture. Um, and people don't realize this, but we get 300 days of sunshine. So like I rode through ice and snow to get out of my driveway today, but it was perfect. No problem. Uh, and I ride all year round. Like there's literally no month I can't get out and ride. So it's no big deal. So they Anyone don't use a lot of ice on the highways down there. They don't. They use some some sand type stuff in a magnesium silt that doesn't rust. It's a little slick and it kind of leaves a on your bike. But as long as you just ride cautiously and pay attention to what you're going through when you're in the corners, it's no big deal. It's fine. See, up here they use like a brine liquid they put on the roads. And it is so corrosive that if you don't have the ability to wash your bike that day after you ride, You'll come out the next day. Your aluminum and your chrome will be pitted and almost rusting the next yeah. day. That's why up here, yeah, we, when it gets cold, they put that brine down. You got to wait for a couple good days of rain to kind of clean it off the road because if you know your hose is frozen or whatnot, and you don't, you can't wash it. You're gonna destroy your bike. Yeah. Well, maybe we should deport some of our environmentalists to you guys, and then you won't have that problem because they'll <laughs> they'll make sure you got some sort of eco-friendly stuff you put on the road. Who knows? But that's they don't ha we don't have that issue here. Um, they don't know how to do anything with ice in Texas, so just leave all the ice out there and let everybody crash on it. Well, I've heard that a half inch snow will shut down Texas. Oh, absolutely! They don't have any equipment to stop you know to clear the roads or whatever. Uh, let's see. You asked another really great question. Uh, what's my dream ride? I've got two that I really want to do. I want to do the 48 and 10 and Me too. I've, I've actually got some map options. Definitely want to do that one. Um, and for those of you who don't know what that is, that's, uh, hitting all 48 States in 10 days. So you don't have to be in the state for very long, but you got to make sure you drive into the state border so that you uh, don't have a 47 and 10, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good old Ken. 
<laughs> the other one I want to do is a true X. Um, in and out 11 on Kansas to each of the four corners, the United States. I'd like to do a true X. That, that would be a lot of fun. You know what's so um, funny? Okay, you talk about the true X. I had, boy, this was 75 mile posts ago. I had Reef on, which I'm, you know who Reef is. Well, last year when we were doing the Monsters Over Mountains, we were about 30 miles west of Spokane going through, I can't remember the town, started with a D. And my phone rings like you. I mean, I, I you know got the helmet comms and looked down. Well, it's Reef calling me because before we started, you know, the run, I put my spot wall on my Facebook. You know, people want to follow along. Cool. You can see where we're going. And Reef called me because he was in Spokane. He was finishing his true X heading up to the corner. He's like, hey, I'm like 30 miles behind you. Let's go eat in Bellevue. Go, I know a great barbecue place. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't have the time for that. But if you want to come a little farther, man, I would love to, you know, do something. But it was so crazy from doing this, the friends you build. And it's like, you know, six in the morning, I'm getting a phone call from Reef. I'm like, what's this? This guy's a legend calling me. And I was like, holy cow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really fun. Um. You asked another really good question. It'd be great for us to dialogue. It's kind of a wrap up. Uh, five tips for beginners in the LDR community. And that's one um, I wanted to hit on before man. we finished. Yeah. I'd say number one, figure out where all the rides are. You know, you got to, you got to figure out what rides you want to do and where they are. That Jason Jonas website will, will it's really good for that. But, um, once you figure out what you want to ride, then you got to analyze like number, I'd say number two is have the right equipment. I mean, you show up on a, on the wrong motorcycle that can't run down the highway long or, you know, has limitations. Um, I mean, you can work around any of limitations on a bike, but it's a lot of work. Uh, like Chris Comley, he runs around on a sportster doing IBR rides. He's got 350,000 miles on his sportster. Maybe it's like 333,000 ridiculous. But crazy. If you got the right bike, it's a little, it's a lot easier. And then, um, but okay. If we touch on that for one moment, I think a guy can get, I mean, you look at touring, I like to think they're, or any style, what fits your riding style. You can take, I like to think that you can take almost any bike as long as you set it up to fit you ergonomically. You get the right, you know, do the right little add-ons, make the bike yours, make it fit to your comfort level. You can go ride wherever. You know, I think yeah. we'll fall back to earlier where we, you know, mentioned ride within your means of what you can afford, but make it work for you. Just because, you know, yeah. Joe Blow's riding a CVO or, you know, somebody's got, you know, whatever they're running, you don't got to break the bank to go out and see America. You know, enjoy the back roads, make it work. You know, you can get a late model bike and make it fit you and just enjoy it. Go ride, see the, see America, see places and just enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, an older Goldwing, those aren't very expensive. You can get an Evo, an Evo Harley will run forever. Not a lot of power, but they run great. Oh, early early twin cams. I mean, both of you are running twin cams and they are proven. You take care of them. You know, keep, keep up on your maintenance and they're going to take care of you. Yeah. Like Frank commented, we were in Davenport, yeah. Washington when reef called. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd say like 
third thing would be fi- find you a good mentor that's in the LDR community. And most of the guys that are active in, in the long distance community, they'll, talk, they'll tell you all they know. They'll chat with you about it. John Anderson lives down the road from me. He's a heck of a long distance rider. He's a financial advisor and has the time and means to ride a lot. That guy does like 60 to 80,000 miles a year. And he's, he and I have gone to lunch a few times and I've been over to his house a few times. He's been over to my house. I mean, I've hung out with him and just asked him all the questions. Um, like all, all the basic questions about setup and route planning and rally planning and all the things that he, even down like, Hey, what kind of pants are you wearing that you're not chaffing in and all that? You know, these are serious questions and, you know, just find yourself a mentor and have to do it in person. Just, you know, hit up someone on, on either long distance riders, uh, long distance motorcycle fan page. I'll help you connect to someone that'll answer questions. Um, Go home. Ken is another great example of that. Yeah. Ken, Ken, Ken's a wealth of information. And a lot of these guys post things. If you, if you don't want to bother them, you're more introverted. You can find things that they've written on social media just by searching through Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll get into that world that way. And then I'd say the last, the last thing on, on getting into the LDR community, just go do it. Walk into a room of strangers and tell them, Hey, I'm new. And I had never ridden a rally. And I told Gary, the ride master of North by Northwest, I, I love to ride long distance, but you're gonna have to show me, like, teach me some stuff. And he's, and he was a wealth of information and made sure I connected with the right guys. I was there with John Anderson. So, um, you know, we ho- we roomed together. I got to know kind of his strategy for once you get your guidebook and you're going to plan out your scavenger hunt. I mean, there's a lot of these, a lot of guys will talk to you, but you got to get out there and actually enter one and do it. Right. Like, are you going to, are you doing the Hoka Hay in 2026? Are you it's, talking about that? I have considered it. It's kind of on the bucket list, but we'll see. I think it would be – I would love to try it to see if I have what it takes to finish it. I mean, uh, with a ride like that, in my opinion, that is a serious mental and physical ride to see yeah, if, you know, sure. do you have what it takes. I mean, if I was to go and do it, I'm not looking to – bust out in 10 i would if i could do you know the 12 to 13 and a half days that would be great i would like to think that i have what it takes but you never know i mean that's no easy ride and it's not so much just a ride but following doing something that is turn by turn directions you have to be there mentally to follow everything and it's it's definitely a would be a chore but it would be amazing to say hey i've done this and I was able to do it. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm hoping to do uh 2026. I'm also wanting to build up my ride portfolio so I can get into the IBR. Um, I've even considered riding some crazy motorcycle just to, just, just to be able to get in on the hopeless class or something. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm as time permits, I'm, I'm hoping to get more into the rally scene. Um, but even not doing a lot of rallies, I'm still pushing 25 to 30,000 miles a year. And, you know, that's just on my own time. So that's solid the more riding. you ride, the more you figure it out. That's, it's a lot, but 
the more you ride and the more you push yourself, the more you figure out what you can and can't do. And I don't ride tired. If I'm falling asleep, I pull over. I also don't ride stupid and ride fast. I mean, you used to, but I want to be an old motorcycle rider, you know? I want to see my grandkids grow up and still be logging lots of miles. Well, you talk about the IBR. Look at Long Haul Paul. Did it on a Ural. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it was a treacherous, I don't know how many engine rebuilds he had, but uh, it was a lot. That was building a set of push rods in a (laughs) hardware store parking lot. Holy cow. Yeah. I don't recommend it. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. But um, trying to think of other bikes that might not be quite as extreme as a Ural. But um, anyways, I don't know if there is. (laughs) I don't know if there is either, but yeah. I mean, it's like a, I'd love to ride a CX 500 Honda in the IBR. I mean, those are, bulletproof but you got to rev the heck out of them to keep them running or or even an old shovel head or something old old harley style but <laughs> all right well but, yeah it's like frank he's doing his first hoka hey this year he's he signed up and got accepted so he'll be doing it this year awesome key well, west to homer alaska i wish i could go see him all off but you know key west from here is a long ways away and I don't yeah. think I can get down there. My, I, I wanted to do 2024, um, but my, my daughter is pregnant, so I wasn't able to pull the trigger on that one. Her due date's in July. So this will be my first grandchild. One going to oh, miss that for the world. Thank you, sir. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank well, you for letting it. me uh, join you. Oh, man, thank, this has been a blast, man. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I was really been looking forward to doing this because – you know, I just from, you know, our, the bit of conversation we had on the phone, it's like, holy cow, you know, we, we got to stop talking for a little bit because there were so many great points. It's like, <laughs> I got to try to remember these and make notes and and stay here and, and try to relive some of the conversation, bring it back up again. Well, that's kind of you. You're a great interviewer and I appreciate the opportunity. Man, thank you so much. So hang around for a minute. But hey, everybody, hey, thank you so much for tuning in tonight for Mile Post 125. It's crazy. It's gone this far, but. Man, for all you guys that follow along and listen and, you know, tune in in the comments, I can't thank you all guys enough. So, till then, ride safe, have fun. We'll catch you in the crossroads. See you guys.